Hello and welcome to Zero Net 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me, but at a distance, is Joel Stromberg. Hi, Joel. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. People probably don't know or we've never mentioned that we do not record in the same place, so we are being socially responsible to the world around us these days. Right, and our arms are just not long enough to touch elbows, I think. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, you know, speaking of the world around us, things have changed dramatically since our last episode as countries face the spread of the coronavirus, and it's dramatically changed the focus from where we were at the beginning of March in the U.S. specifically, thinking about presidential candidates and how the November election would uh, influence the direction of the climate conversation hugely, no matter the outcome. Um, and now we have a uh, sweeping spread of the coronavirus and the reaction to it is also going to have a lasting effect. You know, it's something we're only just beginning to recognize. There are going to be un unintended and intended consequences, uh, and that's all going to affect how we manage climate change going forward. But I just wanted to give a quick take on a few things I've been seeing you know, specific to you know, that change and um, and the question about climate moving forward. There seems to be a concern among activists that the pandemic is an excuse right now to sweep action under the rug and delay even further the important steps we needed to make progress as quickly as possible on climate change. Um, and we've seen here in the US relaxation, relaxation from the EPA over environmental enforcement in relation to the pandemic. Uh, for example, if COVID-19 reduction measures are directly responsible for a, a any kind of a violation or a monitoring and reporting, EPA says it's not going to seek a penalty. Um, a report from Columbia University took that concern a step further, saying that that new relaxed policy pertains to the EPA's greenhouse gas reporting program, which requires about 9,000 entities to report on emissions and late submissions to the March 31st deadline for that program are not going to be penalized, although reporting entity entities will have to eventually file. But the delay could affect the public information that's available to anyone who is trying to assess pending regulatory proposals that are meant to weaken existing greenhouse gas emissions controls. So there's quite a bit of concern about having everything they need to combat those changes. Uh, we also saw the Conference of Parties number 26 will be delayed to next year. Um, and that came just days after climate leaders said it was too soon to make that call, but things are changing that fast. And the UNFCC said it's in its announcement that um, the delay you know, will happen, but they're going to continue to push for increased ambition, which is, you know, always the line they tow. Um, and they say it's that delay will also give parties time to, you know, more deeply consider the issues that were planned for discussion. But this one is supposed to be a, a you know, a big, a big meeting among the meetings. And so that delay is considerable. Uh, there's no new date in mind, uh, but they do say that for now, it's going to continue to stay in Glasgow. Um, there's also a growing concern about what might happen as economies start to recover from being shut down, you know, from this spread of the virus. 
World Bank right now is promoting an approach to economic recovery that would see governments take a really strong position to push economies in a green direction, which is, you know, a pretty 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 much what I would expect to hear from anybody on the activist line. Um, what they're saying is that stimulus packages, for example, should be designed to propel the economy forward um, and include measures that speed up the clean energy transition, putting economies in a stronger position in terms of sustainability and resilience. They say, for example, the packages could be um, inclusive of investment in renewable energy and anything that is going to you know, tap into mature technologies that will create jobs immediately. And investments can also uh, be put into low carbon infrastructure to create construction jobs. So really anything that shows that we're, we're bringing in jobs is always positive. But I think in this particular situation will be especially helpful as people are losing their jobs left and right. <clears throat> um, and funding opportunities that include mandates for compliance with building regulations that promote resiliency um, also can be part of those um, stimulus packages. And then finally, you know, more in, in the esoteric side of what's going on, there's quite a bit of chatter about the possibilities for systems to become more comfortable with this expansive remote functionality that we've been putting in place, telecommuting and virtual conferencing as a result of staying home and staying safe orders from the government. Um, this potential shift uh, would be a huge step in helping the U.S. transportation sector, which is the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the country. Um, and speaking of transportation, you know, we, we just saw some pretty important news coming from the CAFE standards, and I know you've been covering that, and what have you been seeing there? Uh, I've been seeing the, the, the Trump administration um, actually completed an action that uh, he had promised the auto industry and petroleum people um, as a candidate. I mean, he, he, his anti-regulatory um, approach to the environment uh, had at the top of the, the list two issues. One was uh, utilities, so, so the, the old clean power plan uh, of the Obama administration um, and the transportation sector on the CAFE standards. Uh, they finalized their rule and uh, they actually tweaked it a bit from what what the administration had first proposed, <clears throat> excuse me, which was uh, freezing the uh, fuel efficiency standard at the 2020 level um, of around 41 miles um, per gallon, uh, okay. as compared to the uh, Obama administration's 54 plus miles per gallon. Um, and this came about, it, it's come about in a very odd way, and it brings in two issues. First of all, the, the rule is now final. So what's going to happen is that there are going to be lots of lawsuits um, filed that were not able to be filed before uh, because the rule just didn't hadn't hadn't been in a place where it was going to take into effect. Um, earlier, there was there have been uh, cases filed um, in in the loss of the California waiver under the Clean Air Act. Um, California was given uh, an opportunity to seek a waiver from the federal government to set a standard more strident than the federal government's. Um, the, it, it actually came about because of the number of autos in California back in the 70s and the inversion um, that California often suffers, especially in the Los Angeles area. Uh, the Trump administration has now 
taken away that, uh, that option uh, for California, and then they proposed this one national standard. Now, a couple of things have happened in this case, and I think that they're reflective of things that uh, we'll, we will see in the future. First of all, this, this really kind of um, turns on its head the, the traditional Republican notion um, of state-federal regulatory relationships. Uh, by taking away the waiver, uh, all of a sudden, it's a, it's a loss of a state right. And um, not only California, but 13 other jurisdictions uh, and 13 other states in the District of Columbia had the same, followed the same strident rule. Um, because of all the uncertainty that, that in the way that the Trump administration went about establishing this rule, um, a number of companies, four of them actually, um, Honda, BMW, uh, Volkswagen, and I think it's Ford. Oh, I think it's Ford. Uh, I may be wrong in that, but those four companies and now Volvo have actually um, struck a bargain with California um, that they're going to build to a 51 mile uh, per gallon standard by 2026. Um, initially, the Trump administration actually tried to had considered suing not only the auto companies, but the state for antitrust violations. And this, this is a real question of, 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 of a deregulatory scheme right in everybody's face. The fact of the matter is that the, the auto industry itself is actually in advance of the, of the regulation itself. I mean, they, they've already been building cars um, that can reach the 2026 standard, uh, or the 54 plus miles per gallon standard. Um, and they never actually asked the administration to, to roll back that standard. What they, had, what they had asked for was some flexibility in meeting it. Uh, yeah. And it's also a question of, do you build to, whose standard do you build to? Europe and Asia um, are gonna be, have already implemented more strident standards. So do, do these companies I mean, who, who deal on a global market, and the same thing is true of China, build to those standards or they build to the United States? But what's happening is if we get into this, this kind of regulatory fight, but for the Trump administration, it also is a reflection, not just on the, on, the, on the auto standard itself, but they're making a push in these last months of the Trump administration to put in place this kind of deregulatory scheme that, that had been promised and worked on since day one, literally. I mean, the, one of the first executive orders that Trump had written uh, was basically to take away most of the Obama era environmental or climate related uh, executive orders and to order his agencies to find ways to roll back the regulations. Um, and this is something that's gonna speed up. The, 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 the White House and conservative Republicans, including the, the, their strong interest in the petroleum markets, want these things on the books final uh, should the November election bring about a radical change in politics. Um, now that's, in some ways, this is the old. Um, and what's happening now in Congress, and we've seen a reflection already of the, of the relationship of energy economy and the pandemic. Um, in this third stimulus package, which is it's a little over $2 trillion, um, before that package was, was passed, the Democrats in the House um, had already been proposing an extension of the wind and solar tax credits. Um, the, the Republicans use this um, to taunt the Democrats of bringing into the debate once more the Green New Deal and having nothing to do with the pandemic. But this is, 
this is something that hasn't ended. Uh, all those credits were stripped out, but now they're talking about the fourth stimulus package, uh, likely a fifth stimulus package. And part of those packages are, not, are going to exceed just funds to hospitals and to individuals, um, individuals because ours is a consuming um, economy and the money is going into, into people's pockets. Um, but to rebuild a structure um, of the oil industry is going to be one of the hotly debated topics of the next stimulus package. Do we, in fact, support um, oil companies, for example, in the shale area, which have, have gone bankrupt or are about to go bankrupt because of the pandemic um, and because of the economic slowdown? The same thing is going to happen in other industries as well. And so what's going to happen is that these, the next stimulus packages are going to be, are going to reflect and I think reflect the issues that will be coming up in the elections and post-elections and begin to set the stage. And clearly the Democrats have on their calendar um, the renewable energy and the environmental set uh, proposals that, that they could never get through because of the administration that's in place and because of the, the Senate Democrats. And um, what we're going to see is an increasing amount of this. The other thing we're going to see is that the world is, I mean, we're, we're now communicating, you're right, I mean, now it's going to change the model. People are, are not going to be probably as quick to return to offices as they are to be using the, the digital infrastructure mm -hmm. that's, that's been created um, in the meantime. The other thing that's going to happen is that we have a situation where, you know, the momentum for the climate change, um, we're kind of the, the pictures of the physicality of young activists standing in the streets, well, you know, by the tens of thousands, that's gone now. I mean, we you're not going to see a demonstration for months if yeah. you know if okay. before the end of the year. So one of the questions becomes is can the the environmental the, the momentum um, of the call for responding to climate change be maintained the same way digitally um, as it was digitally and by having people standing in the streets? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's going to be a problem for the youth movement. Um, and I think it's gonna be a problem for progressives in general. Uh, and we're seeing some of this already in how the Democratic nomination is beginning to play out. It's clear that Sanders is, gonna, is, is going to um, pull out of the race at some point. Um, I don't think he's gonna to go to the convention the way he did in 2016. And, and that had nothing to do with the pandemic. I mean, the fact of the matter is that all of a sudden the impossible seemed to happen and Biden just became the presumptive nominee. The other thing that we're seeing in this case is that how, how Sanders does this is going to be very interesting because Sanders has been the leader of this kind of youth progressive movement um, that now is at a crossroads itself about because of the physicality issues because of, of, of you know being on the streets together um my feeling is that digitally what happens is that they're going to be as active the progressives are going to be as active as they were before probably more active but digitally i think they they really what they do is they send emails to believers already so that this mm -hmm. is going to have the, the the next leg for the climate um for climate change policy is going to come through how Biden and the Democrats incorporate um, the progressive agenda into the Democratic platform. Um, and at some point, who it is that he picks as 
uh, his advisors, whether it's White House advisors or as cabinet members. And my understanding is that he's going to be doing this in advance of the convention when and if it ever occurs. So what we're going to see is we're going to see a series of proposals coming out through the Democratic, through the nomination process that now has taken a very different turn. We also see in, in how Sanders is coming about his decision as to whether he's going to stay or go as far as the, the campaign is concerned is in who his who he's relying on as advisors now and who seems to have taken um, the opportunity to maybe sit down and let things unfold differently than they might otherwise. And what I mean specifically by this is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who early into the Sanders campaign stood with him on platforms and they spoke of the Green New Deal. Well, you don't see her very much now in the press, um, nor do you see much about the Green New Deal. But, but the fact of the matter is that I think that the progressives themselves are, feel, are considering now, how do we begin to move this? Do we begin to move our agenda by digitally going onto the streets and demonstrating, or do we somehow change it from the inside out? My feeling is that the, the smart ones, um, and, I, and I don't mean this pejoratively to the ones that don't do this, but I think that, right. that, that those that understand the political system and where we are, are going to fold into the Biden, um, the Biden campaign um, and begin to work from the inside out. Some of this we're going to see reflected in the debates on the next stimulus bills. Again, there's the stimulus bills. There's a lot of pressure building up there. They're, right now, the, the emphasis is getting money to hospitals and individuals uh, to spend. But at some point, they're going to be making decisions on what industries do we support in a kind of stimulus package, something like the one we saw um, in the Obama administration as far as you know, ending the Great Recession. Um, and we're going to see framed in some of these debates the, the threads of ideas that, that, that are being brought to the attention of the Democratic platform creators and to Biden himself. Um, now, I think that what's going to happen in all of this is the closer we get to November, the less likely a stimulus package is going to come out. And I, the early stimulus packages, I think, will reflect arguments on tax credit schemes, for example. Um, uh -huh. And I think there's it, it, the only kind of a bill that will come out in that kind of a context, again, and this is a short two-month context, is... Uh, a compromise that the, the the credits would be extended, but that um, the Congress would also give the administration money to fill up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Plus, I mean, what's happening is that the the energy sector is being hit not only because of the pandemic. Um, I mean, nobody nobody's traveling anywhere and what have you, um, mm -hmm. but because of the price war that's going on between Saudi Arabia and Russia, um, and even in had the pandemic not occurred, the price of a barrel of oil um, is being brought down because of the price war. It's just being brought down faster because of the pandemic. Hmm. Um, but what we're seeing is, I mean, we're seeing, uh, I, I, you and I have discussed this before. I drove by a gas station the other day uh, here in, in the Washington area, Northern Virginia, and regular gasoline was under $2 a gallon. Um, a barrel of oil um, has dropped um, to the low 20s and is expected to go into the teens, which is going to which is going to shake out these a lot of fossil fuel companies in ways that nobody ever had actually imagined 
Um, but the flushing out is something consistent with what would be happening should the United States and other countries be more aggressive in um, trying to make the transition to a low carbon economy. So there are going to be some very basic decisions that have to be made. And the debate is going to be, um, in part, do we, do we save these, the fossil fuel companies that, that have shown themselves to be very, very weak in the first place um, and maintain that kind of an economy? Or is this an opportunity to shift over to, uh, uh, to make the transition to a low carbon economy? How that is brought up um, is going to be very important. I think that it's also going to change the kinds of ideas that are going to have um, currency in the post-pandemic world. For example, um, you know, there's been a lot of pressure uh, from bipartisan pressure, actually. I mean, the, uh, to have a, a national carbon tax. Um, well, post-pandemic, anything that talks about a tax on uh, purchases is just is 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 gone before it even begins. Um, mm -hmm. it, the, the tax concept, I think, showed itself to be unpopular in general in states like Washington um, and Oregon. That that uh, when people were finally asked, you know, do you support a carbon tax? In two states, for example, that are very, very um, climate conscious, they said no. Well, mm -hmm. they're going to say hell no after the pandemic. So then we have to begin looking at other kinds of policies. And I think that in some ways there's a void that needs to be filled at this point because too much has been, too much energy has been expended on preserving what we have, which we know doesn't, doesn't get us to where we need to be. And mm -hmm. so the pandemic actually has created a situation where uh, all bets are off, but do we have the policies in mind and are they hitting the, the airwave, so to speak, that will create a debate about where, where does the future go? I mean, do we, I mean, for example, do we save oil shale companies, which I grant you are large employers? I mean, they thousands of people, but they're not economic. I mean, they're, not, they're only economic when uh, the price of oil is very high and we don't exactly have control of that anymore. But Saudi Arabia and Russia have been, have been gearing up for this fight for years and they have reserves that they're willing to throw out there um, which to see if they can bankrupt the other one. Now, now Trump has indicated, he did this during one of his pandemic um, news conferences, that he in fact talked to both Saudi Arabia um, and Russia and they, they, they said that they would follow his lead and cut production. Um, as soon as he mentioned that, both countries came out and said, there's no agreement made yet. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that Trump is kidding himself um, if he thinks he's actually going to be able to influence this. And so, so we, we, there, there's both a horrendous emergency going on because of the pandemic and I think a historic opportunity to now look at the economy and decide with, through these stimulus packages, which direction do we want to go? I mean, do we go to the future or do we go to saving the past which we know can't last. I mean, even the Republicans in Congress, I mean, who have now begun to discuss policies that they would support to create a transition, um, have recognized climate change as what it is. Um, now, they may not be responding as in, 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 the, in the scale that we would like, we would like, I mean, the activists would like, but the fact is that they're responding. Um, and there are very few deniers left. Trump happens to be one of them, and so do some of his advisors. 
But that the, that dialogue has changed now in a way that um, talking about maintaining the status quo of the fossil fuel industry is really talking about bailouts. Um, mm -hmm. And that's going to have a different investment structure than, for example, alternatives. I mean, solar can be can be built more rapidly. It, it can be built more cheaply. It's competitive now. And so all of a sudden, the world that we know has stopped. Um, and the issue is going to be for lawmakers, when we restarted, which road are we going to take? And I think that that really emphasizes the importance of the November elections. I mean, the the if the election sends, if the election comes out democratic, not only for the election of Biden, um, but for a Democratic House and Senate, well, that I mean, then the opportunity to take a road that needs to be taken increases significantly. Mm -hmm. If if Trump is elected and or um, Congress remains split, then what's going to happen, I think, is we're going to continue this kind of half in, half out of the future and the past. Um, and the, the pandemic will have caused a slowdown in the transition that, that seemed to be gaining momentum just months ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that it's, it's uh, this is a unique time in history. I, I know I, I recognize that I'm kind of fluttering here, but it's every time I think of it, I, I can't overestimate the importance of what these next few months are gonna mean not just for the health of the nation physically, um, but where we go as a, as a nation um, in policy directions. And if it were me, for example, I would be thinking more strongly about following the example now that we have where government is paying people that no longer have jobs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, you know, we can use that same model. What's wrong with paying coal miners and oil oil patch workers that you know of a certain age that are not going to find new jobs under a new economy and just invest in the new economy. I mean mm -hmm. we've we've set a pattern here I and mean, this is something historic as well. I, I mean there's been no time in the United States history where the government has has used as a stimulus giving money out to everybody to keep the, the economy alive. Right. Um, and so this again resets the the dial. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think that, I think that again, the, the way to do this, I think that what people have to do is to begin thinking about what kind of a world do we want post-pandemic. And um, to use the, 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 the problem that was nobody's, I mean, nobody caused the pandemic, um, as an opportunity um, to go forward. And I think the other thing that needs to be thought of uh, in this context is we've seen a weakness in, in the ability of the national framework of laws to actually respond to an emergency. Um, it's, it, shows, it shows a weakness. I mean, the emergency declaration only means something if there are provisions in other laws that say, should there be an emergency, then the following acts can occur, A, B, C, D, E. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the other thing that we've seen, and, and you know, there's been a lot of talk in the, in the climate community about, well, we should create a, 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 an emergency, national emergency declaration. I think what we're seeing now is just how hollow 
that can be. I mean, there, mm -hmm. there's, there's the Defense Production Act and a couple of other things, but certainly not enough to even respond to what this clear and present danger is in the form of the pandemic. So the, again, I mean, what we're seeing are weaknesses and the decision that has to be made is, do we fight the war that we've just been in or do we look for the battles ahead? And obviously I think that we look for the battles ahead will be a much better way to do it. Um, we'll see if that happens. And I think some of this also depends upon what happens in Europe, um, in China and in other societies who are also facing these the same fundamental questions as to what direction um, will they be going in post-pandemic? Mm -hmm. Well, no, I, I agree. They definitely have weeks ahead of us uh, in terms of understanding what's going on and making progress, and we can look to that. But we also have that unique situation of our critical election in November. That's, you know, that's a special situation for us in the U.S. And I, for one, am going to be watching the messaging very carefully uh, as the weeks go by the next couple of weeks, uh, because, you know, the political messaging has just disappeared because everybody is focused so strongly on this right now that's happening to us. And, you know, slowly but surely, the messaging is going to have to come back around to, you know, what what are the points we're thinking about when we go to the polls, if we're allowed to go to the polls, and, you know, how that's all going to turn out. So you know, I'm watching that specific issue very carefully, you know, watching how it emerges in the next couple of weeks and the, and the months to follow. So that's that's what I'm thinking about. And, you know, I know you've got some things on your plate. What's What's going to be looking ahead for you? Well, a couple of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. One one is that I'm going to be writing more about um, the pan the relationship between the pandemic and the transition to um, a low carbon economy. Um, I think that there are there are a lot of lessons to be learned here. Um, I think the other thing that I'll, uh, the other thing I'm going to be writing about is the focus of the of how the Trump administration is going to be putting in trying to put in place. Um, its legacy of deregulation um, mm -hmm. on the <clears throat> excuse me on the way out the door, um, and the third thing I'm going to be writing about is um, is how uh, is the number of new policies, for example, a national clean energy standard in, in um, rather than a carbon tax, um, and some of the policies not only that I'm thinking about but that others are thinking about, and the the impact of of a world gone digital um, and how that plays out in the terms of politics, which which has always been personal. And I think that the the computer age and and, and social uh, and social media has taken away the contact, the physical contact, <clears throat> excuse me, that 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 is used to gin up excitement. I mean, mm -hmm. consider. Consider, for example, what's it like to watch a football game or a basketball game with nobody in the audience? Um, right. And it's it's that loss, I think, really changes the, the nature of the game. And I think the same thing um, is going to be true as far as politics and climate change is going to be concerned. And the other thing that we're going to be looking at is how far down the list of priorities <clears throat> will climate become? I mean, it was one or two. We know that healthcare and the economy are going to become the post-pandemic issues. Mm -hmm. And how, do, how does climate play into that 
And does it play into that as, as integral, integral parts of those or as a standalone issue? So mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. All right. Well, that's a lot to be thinking about and paying attention to, but you know, mo most importantly, we're all going to try and stay healthy at this point. Exactly. But I, I think that's a good place for us to stop today. And thank you, Joel, as always, for joining me at a distance today. Uh, thank you, Jennifer. And um, of course, you stay safe. And we've got springtime here in Washington, and I hope it finds its way up to Vermont. Well, I hope so too. And of course, thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you have any questions or comments, you can tweet them to hashtag ZeroNet50. Have a good day and stay home and stay safe.